Welcome to the Am I Called podcast. Am I Called is a ministry that exists to help men find their call and to help pastors find called men. For more information and resources, visit amicalled.com. Now, here's your host, Dave Harvey. Hi, this is Dave Harvey, and you're listening to the Am I Called podcast. Joining me today is Mike Cosper. Mike is a guy who I'm really enjoying getting to know, and I'm discovering about him that he loves to think biblically and deeply about ministry, music, culture, and grace. And actually, those are just some of the themes that we've been covering over the past few days while he's been here in Tallahassee. Mike is the pastor of worship and arts at Sojourn Community Church. That's a church that was co-founded back in 1990 with Daniel Montgomery. Mike's an author. He's, he's written Rhythms of Grace, and he co-wrote Faith Mapping with Daniel Montgomery. And also, he does quite a bit of blogging and pretty much galvanizes the creative energies of the folks at Sojourn Community Church and Sojourn Music. So this is one busy dude. Mike, it's great to have you with us. It's a joy to be here. Thanks. Mike, I read your bio, and you say you live in a shotgun house. And let me just reveal my ignorance here by saying I have no idea what that means. Is that an architectural thing, or is that a weapon that came with the house because of the neighborhood? <laughs> well, what does that mean? No, you'd think it came with the neighborhood. But uh, actually, shotgun houses were um, were a, a sort of an urban planning concept that, that came about around the turn of the, the 19th and 20th century. And the idea was that you you built a house and it was just a straight line, a straight shot from the front front of the house to the back, just one room after another, no hallways. So what you could do is you could literally open up all the all the doors of the house and shoot a shotgun from the front door out the back door, and never hit a wall. Oh. So have, have you done that? Haven't done that. <laughs> haven't done that. Oh, that's in Louisville, right? That's right. Okay. That's right. Now, Mike, you're a pastor, but you also work extensively with the arts community, musicians and painters, and those who just feel called to give glory to God through their creative gifts. So God, did God call you to pastoral ministry? Did he call you to the arts? Mm. Are those inseparable? T- talk to me about that. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm definitely one of those pastors who sort of stumbled into ministry. Um, ministry came about for me as a guy who felt sort of displaced from the church. Um, I was part of a Bible study that was gathering and, and praying and uh, through a number of circumstances, you know, came to be part of a church plant and and I was serving as a coordinator for for the worship leaders in the church, um, and really saw it as you know this is a, a year, two years we'll be here, maybe three, and then ultimately I wanted to move on. I wanted to get involved in the recording industry. I wanted to move to Nashville and uh, get involved in making records and playing guitar, you know, whatever whatever came about. Um, but as as the church sort of took on a life of its own, and as I sort of found a place in it. It, I developed a sense of calling. Um, it was it was a surprise to me. Um, in some ways, sometimes it, it still is a surprise to me. You know, 15 years later, having been through growth and challenges and capital campaigns, I mean, sometimes I do wake up in the morning and I go, "What am I doing here? I'm I'm a guitar player," you know. Um, and yet, the Lord has has really allowed me to experience a lot of sort of gospel fruit and and joy in the work that that's shown up. So. So yeah, I mean, I was definitely. I think the first thing that I felt was a, a sense of vocation about creativity, um, and to find uh, a place for that in the church, and to realize ultimately that the church needs artists who are equipped and called and challenged and enabled to use their gifts to serve God's people. Um, 
that's I think that's vocationally where I've landed in my sense of calling is I want to work with I want to work with creatives whoever they are whether they're musicians or graphic designers or whatever and help them see the opportunities that exist for them to use their gifts for the for the sake of the kingdom whether that's building up the local church or just being an artist in the world who's doing their work christianly now what is it that you were seeing in the church or not seeing in the church that began to cultivate this burden to see creative people expressing their gifts yeah I, for for me i mean i grew up um, i grew up in sort of your your standard middle of the road um, christian Christian megachurch, and I had a great experience for, for most of my time in, in the church. I was discipled. I had mentors. It was it was really good. Um, but well, there was definitely a sense to me of everything that was creative about the church was sort of canned. It all came off the shelf. Like there was a there was a Christian culture you could walk into. This is the '90s. You could walk into a Christian bookstore and buy Christian T-shirts and Christian bumper stickers and Christian novels and Christian movies and Christian music, and it all had sort of a brand and it all came out of a box and. For for me, as somebody who had creative impulses towards towards arts and literature and music, um, it just didn't feel like it didn't feel like it was expressive of the world I lived in and the the friends that I knew, and who were people of faith. Um, so I wanted to create a different. I wanted to create some open space. And and what what I saw an opportunity with being a part of um, Sojourn as a church plant was, hey, let's let's make some open space where creatives can show up and a different kind of expression of church, a different kind of church culture can emerge. Um, and that was around 2000, 2001. I think that was a sentiment that was shared by a lot of people. I mean, things are very, very different now in terms of the breadth of, of expressions that take place in, in Christian churches in North America um, compared to where we were 15 years ago, I think. What do you think has made the difference? I think I think I wasn't alone. You know what I mean? Like I think I think there were a lot of people who who like me had grown up in the church, um, who like me didn't necessarily feel um, a whole lot of sympathy towards the church's creative ethos, and wanted to wanted to do new things. So you saw, you know, you saw the whole emergent thing that had all kinds of bringing in old and new and uh, different different concepts um, for aesthetics and, and all of that, and and obviously there were lots of there were lots of um, things about sort of the emergent movement that that weren't weren't helpful, but on the culture side of it, I think again, just creating that openness to say, how can how can the arts be done differently? How can music be done differently? How can aesthetics be approached differently? Um, that I think that was a really good thing, and so you saw um, you saw sort of a resurgence in conversation about the arts, where where now it's not unusual to be at a, a worship conference or pastor's conference or something like that, and for somebody to start talking about the importance of the arts and the importance of the imagination. Um, you know, there's been a lot of work that's been done there that I think that's become almost, it's become almost commonplace to discuss it. And, and, and you know, there's dangers in that too. Mike, when we were together last night, we were talking a bit about pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And I'm wondering, do you see a connection between the resurgence of the arts and pneumatology, a developing pneumatology, a people pressing into what it means to have to pursue the presence of God? Hmm. You know, I I connect it more um, more directly to a resurgence of of care about the imagination. So I think where where I would where I would go with this, and, and we can we can. I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on this too, frankly. But what I what I see is um, is a connection between 
the the kind of Christianity I was discipled in as a kid was highly rational. It was almost sort of like, you know, you know your Bible, you know, and 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 that's the that's the answer to all of your problems. That's the answer to all of your troubles. That's the answer to all of your doubts. Well, just know your Bible, um, and 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 knowing in a knowing in a rationalistic kind of sense. I think what what has been interesting about the resurgence of the arts is it sort of opened up this space of imagination and imagination is where longing and desire are really developed. And so, so the Bible as story comes alive in a way that to our imaginations in a way that the Bible as, uh, as story doesn't come alive to, to our minds as sort of rational creatures. So, so what I'm, what I'm getting at is I think <clears throat> a lot of the conversations of the arts have opened up this sort of imaginative side and where, where when we begin to approach the the gospels, for instance, as these as these stories to to, to sort of place ourselves in and imagine and, and try to understand, not not so much from a rational sense, but from a from the experiential side of it. What what would it have meant to be the 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 blind man crying out to, to Jesus? What is that? How does how does that how does that pull at our hearts? You can know that story and it never moves you, but by engaging the Bible with the imagination, the story moves you in a totally different way. So I, I think what's been interesting about this resurgence in the arts in terms of the spiritual formation of the church is it's, it's gotten us back in some ways to concepts like religious affections and, um, uh, and desire being the, you know, us being loving, desiring creatures, as, as Augustine put it, um, that being sort of the central motif for how do we disciple people. Well, we disciple them by, by moving them through love and desire towards Christ. And rather than through rationality, rather than through yeah, here's your catechism. Memorize this, and you're going to be all right. Um, we need that. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I have no problem with catechism and, and systematic theology. Any of that we 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 need those things. Um, but I, I think in my experience at the church, at times that was so prioritized, um, and we were so suspicious of imagination and emotion that we we moved people we moved people away from those things. And I think that's been. Uh, I think there's been some corrective on that. The idea there being that we are fundamentally creatures of desire mm-hmm. and first creatures of desire that are that pursue our longings and our loves mm-hmm. rather than simply cognitive beings that mm-hmm. pursue what we think about. Exactly. And I think and where I think the spirit gets involved there is is that I think the spirit meets us at that at that heart level, at that level of imagination and desire. Um, and I think that uh, um, I think that's one of the exciting. I think that's one of the exciting things about sort of cultural um, and creative renewal in the church is um, is again sort of opening up that creative space, um, opening up the space for people to to be moved, um, you know, by the truth, but in a way that engages the heart. And uh, I think we often see the spirit work through those kinds of circumstances. Again, I think that's a lot of what Edwards was getting at in religious affections. In his own in his own way, Mike. Let's assume for a second that there may be an artist listening to this podcast, and and he hears you say talk about a cultural reformation and and a reformation of the arts, and he wants to be a part of that. Um, what counsel would you give him in pursue or her yeah. in pursuing their dreams? Yeah, I would say um, first and foremost is you got to work really hard at your skills. Um, you don't become a, a great artist by just showing up one day and praying hard, and suddenly you're a great artist. Um, you know, there's we're we're creatures who are formed by habits and and who are habit forming, 
And, um, you know, to become a great artist, to become a great preacher, to become a great musician uh, or a great writer, it, it means, you know, uh, it means showing up and doing the work, you know, day in and day out. Um, I think, you know, that Woody Allen quote, 80% of success is just showing up. Uh, that's, that's part of it. Whatever, your, whatever your, your sense of calling is, if you want to be a writer or, a, or an artist, um, you're, whatever that calling is, you've got to devote yourself to disciplines that are going to make you become what you want to be. So if you want to be a great painter, you're going to have to paint a lot of bad paintings first. You know, um, I do think sometimes we spiritualize the arts amongst Christians in ways that are that are unhealthy, and we think, well, you know, the the whole world they have to go through this whole process, and you know, they they go to schools and they do all this kind of stuff. But you know, I'm a Christian and I know God, and God's the ultimate creator. So if I know the ultimate creator, I've got a fast track to becoming a great artist. Uh, and you know, there's. I think we spiritualizing in that way is just not healthy. It's not helpful. And it's not true. Um, at the end of the day, God makes us into what we're going to become through a process, through a learning process. We're we're creatures that are designed to learn and grow. And so, to to any artist that that wants to do something meaningful to the kingdom, um, the the first thing you have to do is do a lot of stuff that's that's probably not going to be that meaningful, except that it's it's what you have to do to get to the meaningful stuff. You have to get through your development stages to become something that's uh, that's powerful at the end of it. Must add discipline to desire. Exactly. Mike, one of the things that has intrigued me as I've gotten to know the folks at Sojourn Community Church is that it's a very robust model of, uh, of gospel-loving people that are pursuing the arts. And I know you were vitally involved in, in starting that church. Why don't you Take us back to the beginning, and, and what was the vision that started Sojourn Community Church? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There were there were three different groups that came together to kind of start the church. There was um, Daniel Montgomery at the time was um, was finishing seminary, and and he and and a, a few of his friends there had a had a heart for a church that sort of reached into Louisville's creative community um, in the, in the Highlands. Um, there was another group that was a group um, that worked with Youth for Christ, and they reached out to kids that were sort of punk, hardcore, goth kids. You know, um, there's a strip called Bardstown Road where all the all the cool coffee shops and restaurants, and you know, back then there was a there was like a hardcore club there that that, that did shows on Friday nights, and um, and then there was. Uh, there was a Bible study that was sort of a ragtag group of displaced Christians who had grown up at other churches and just felt like there wasn't a place for us. And um, and I was a part of that Bible study. And I think going into the um, going into the launch of Sojourn, all three of us came came together with a real sense that we needed a different kind of church. We needed a church that sort of spoke the um, spoke the language of a different uh, of a of a different group of people. Um, a church where we could invite our our friends that were maybe uh, uh, more liberal, more progressive, more um, more on the sort of cultural fringe um, than the churches that we'd grown up in. Um, for me personally, I just really, I just really felt like I, I felt this this massive disconnect between the church I grew up at and and where I was as a Christian at that time. And I think you know, looking back, some of that was was definitely immaturity on my part. Um, but man, by God's grace, He used some of that sense of angst and discontentment to um, to to start something that has been really meaningful. And um, so, you know, I, I do think it's one of the interesting things about calling is that God often God often even works through our flaws to accomplish something. Mm-hmm. You know, um, through our immaturity. Um, we can nonetheless accomplish something that's meaningful into His kingdom, and that's just grace. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing. 
Now, yesterday you told me that there's a pastor that you have dedicated to ensuring that each campus is serving the poor. There are four campuses Mm -hmm. in Louisville that each campus is serving the poor. I I was also talking to a buddy who told me his daughter was involved in a ministry that reaches out to ex-strippers. Mm-hmm. Is it called Scarlet Thread? Scarlet Hope. Scarlet yeah. Hope. Okay. So, where did this social impulse come mm. from? Yeah, you know, there's there's a couple of ways to answer that question. I mean, one is just simply to say, you know, the the scriptures call us to love and serve the poor, and um, and I think that you know what's what's true, you know, what's true religion is to caring for orphans and widows. Um, I think there's a there's as strong a biblical mandate to care for the poor as there is to to sing songs and to to pray and to it's it's what it means to be to be a Christian and it, and it's true on two levels it's true simply on the level of we we love a compassionate God who calls us and draws us to the to the the least of these um, and second it's true it's it's a powerful truth on a on kind of a spiritual level in that we are poor, you know, we are poor, we are broken. And the the gospel is the story of how God came to us in our poverty and uh, Christ became poor that we might become rich. Um, and so we, I think there's something about what it means to be human that that by by sort of living in that story, we get to experience the gospel afresh in, in different, you know, in new ways. Um, so yeah, we, we're drawn to the poor and uh, we... And Scarlet Hope, what those what those ladies do is just a spectacular ministry, and the 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 craziness that they're in the midst of in these in these ladies' lives who've been taken advantage of and abused since they were kids, and find themselves you know working in the sex industry in Louisville as strippers or prostitutes or how did that ministry start? You know, um, this 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 gal, her name is Rochelle. Um, she just felt a burden for those who were uh, for, for ladies who were who were in the in the clubs, and so she, um, as I recall the story, she and, and a few friends just began showing up at a couple of the clubs. They they just show up. They they'd ask if they could go um, bring a meal to the ladies that were in the back rooms. You know. Uh, between their shows or whatever, and they'd show up. They'd bring a home cooked meal. They'd do the girls' hair. They'd do their makeup. They'd share the gospel with them. They'd you know give them their phone numbers. Hey, if you ever need anything, if there's anything we can do for you, to serve you, just let us know. And what's crazy is the um, uh, you know they've, they've had they've seen lots of ladies get out of the industry. They've seen lots of ladies you know sort of move forward into into new seasons of their lives. They've they've been walking with some of these ladies for years who've. Made some progress, and or or have kind of gone back and forth. I mean, they've really journeyed with people through. They've been at I think for seven years now that they've been doing it, um, and it's grown into a thing where they're in. Uh, I, th- I think the last time I heard, they were in like fifteen or sixteen of the clubs in the city mm. um, on that Thursday nights. Yeah, they just cook these massive meals, and these little little church ladies in minivans that live in the suburbs, you know, walking into walking into strip clubs um, on Thursday nights and. Uh, yeah, it's just incredible. It's incredible, and the club owners have come to love them and appreciate them. Some of the club owners have. There've been a few of the guys who've been become Christians and, and gotten out themselves. Um, just an incredible ministry. Mike, if one of our listeners wanted to give money to um, Scarlet Hope just to be able to help in the outreach there, how would they do it? They would just probably do it through their website. Um, I actually don't know the website address offhand. I think it's scarlethope.org. Um, but they could get at it through the Sojourn site. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Or just Google Scarlet Hope Louisville, and it'll it'll pop right up.
Mike, let's imagine there's someone listening who feels called to write worship songs. In fact, just for a second, imagine that he or she is sitting across from your desk and they're asking you, how do I write good worship lyrics? <laughs> Walk them through that for me. Oh, yeah. I wish there was an easy answer to the question. I mean, I think you, to come back to some of the things we were talking about earlier with creativity in general, um, you, you learn to write good songs by writing a lot of bad ones. Um, and you kind of have to write the bad ones to get to the good ones. Um, it's just like any other writing, isn't it? It is. And so I, what, I encourage, um, what I encourage folks to do is to spend a lot of time um, studying good songs. So, you know, get the, get the Beatles catalog out and listen to what's happening melodically. Listen to how simple oftentimes the songs really are, their structures are. Um, and when they, do, when they do clever things with their arrangements, it's subtle, it's, it's, in the, it's at the right moments, that sort of thing. Um, I also encourage them, you know, lyrically especially, um, take a look at the hymns and look at what the hymns, not just the, not just the meter and not the not 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 even necessarily the language, because I think oftentimes the language of these these great 17th and 18th century hymns um, leaves something to be desired um, for contemporary listeners. We don't like you, you know, the average Christian who walks in the door of your church doesn't know what an Ebenezer is or why they should be raising it. Um, and and so so it's not so much the language of the hymns as it is the the content. What is the hymn trying to accomplish? What's it what's it trying to communicate? And Watts, I think, was such a master. And, and part of what Watts does is he his his hymns are these sort of logical constructions. He builds an argument for what is the meaning of the cross in when I survey the wondrous cross. Um, and so study 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 the folks who've done it really well. And then know that when you the, the other big thing I always tell young songwriters is um, know that just because you finished writing it doesn't mean that it's finished. Um, you you need to you need to to have the humility to to share your song with folks and then be ready to go. You know this this isn't done. I need it needs to needs more work. I'm going to take this feedback. I'm going to improve it. I'm going to edit like crazy. Um, it's very rare that somebody wakes up in the morning and rolls out of bed and just writes the perfect song. Uh, I think Paul McCartney did it once. Um, most songwriting. Which is, song was that? Uh, I think it was yesterday. I think he he dreamed it. Uh, this, I think I believe it was yesterday. But it was a, there's a story that he dreamed the song, and he rolled out of bed and he thought that somebody else had written it, and so he he wrote he scribbled the lyrics down on a piece of paper and and uh, and then sure enough realized no this this is my song, um, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's that's the that's the rare exception, you know, and and probably Paul McCartney could do that because he'd already written a few hundred, you know, a few hundred songs, some of which were great songs, some of which were very bad songs. Gets gets back to the discipline thing. Gets back it? to the discipline thing, and there's there's just no way around it. If you want to be a successful creative, you have to uh, you have to be invested in 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 your disciplines. I think we're almost out of time, Mike. But before we we sign off here. Why don't you give our listeners, just off the top of your head, three books for someone out there who feels, senses they might be called to ministry. What are three books that you'd say, read these for sure? Yeah, for, for ministry. Um, I think the three books, and there's, there's, definitely, a, there's definitely a spectrum um, between these three books that, that have most profoundly affected me as a, as a pastor. One would be The Cross and Christian Ministry by D.A. Carson. Um, just, just an incredible book about the centrality of the cross to everything that we do. Um, the Contemplative Pastor by Eugene Peterson. 
um, is a is a really encouraging book because ministry often feels like you're you're in a um, you're swimming up current, and everyone thinks that what you do is superfluous. You know, you're just sort of a pleasant a pleasant figure on the margins of society. Um, and Peterson really speaks to that and speaks to how important it is to have those figures and 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 how sort of subtle and important the work is. Um, and then the third book for me, and this is this is probably more particular to those who would be pastors or, or worship leaders, um, uh, wor- worship leaders or worship pastors, would be um, Unceasing Worship by Harold Best. And I, I think I would recommend that to anybody who wants to be involved in the ministry of the church gathering to have a really robust picture of what is what is going on when the church gathers, what is the meaning of the word worship, and why is that so central to the life of the church. That's a great list. Thank you, Mike. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And thanks for tuning in to the Am I Called podcast. Uh, this is your host, Dave Harvey, and I hope you check to see future podcasts for interviews exploring what it means to be called to ministry, called to business, called to the arts, and a host of other fields where Christians are called by God to serve God for the glory of God. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Am I Called podcast, which was brought to you today by Four Oaks Community Church in Tallahassee, Florida. For more articles, interviews, and resources on calling and pastoral ministry, visit amicalled.com.